We're going to read this morning uh, two verses from 1 Peter chapter 2. Before I do that, I want to acknowledge that uh, some of you may not know that Jen Endicott died very suddenly this past weekend. And uh, this afternoon, there are going to be visiting hours at the Sullivan Funeral Home in Hanover from 2 to 5, and a memorial service here at 11 o'clock on Monday. Also, I wanted to uh, recognize uh, Jerry and Marge Kamen are celebrating their 50th anniversary this weekend. So Jerry and Marge have been part of North River since the very first day, and we just wanted to uh, give a shout out to them. So hopefully they're watching online today, and we're thrilled about that. Um, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Verse 12 is really the main verse that I'm focusing on this morning, but for context, we'll read both. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that... Though they accuse you for doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. That last verse is the one that we're focusing on. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you for doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Let's pray for a moment. Lord God, thank you for the words that we discover in the letters of the New Testament and for these words that come from Peter, one of Jesus' original disciples. I pray that you will allow us to carry on in the same way that Peter challenged Christians in the first generation, to think through how we live well and live wisely in the times in which we find ourselves. So fill us with wisdom, compassion, determination, stick-to-itiveness, hope, faith, all of the things that it takes to be more like Jesus and to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. I pray for the folks who've gathered here this morning and for those who are watching from home. We ask that you will bless them, even as we've just sung, that that we know that you are a God who desires to bless your people. You bless us even more when we follow your wisdom and when we walk in your ways. Lord, thank you for being a a good and kind and faithful God. Thank you for giving us clear boundaries in regards to the ways that you want us to live and the things you want us to avoid. Help us to love our neighbors, whether they agree with us or disagree with us, whether they treat us well or whether they falsely accuse us. Help us to live in such a way that people can see Jesus in us and may glorify you and even decide that your way is worth trying worth checking out, and worth living. Lord, we ask for uh, hope to well up within our souls that will keep us going during this confusing time. We pray that you'll give us insight in knowing what we are to believe when we hear conflicting messages, politically, socially, and in so many other ways. We pray for our nation during this time. We pray that you will be at work in this election season. We also pray that you will be at work afterwards in healing our nation and bringing people together. Uh, We pray that uh, you will grant our governor wisdom and all of those who are making decisions that impact us day in and day out. We ask your blessing to fall upon the teachers and students who are trying to find ways to go forward and find ways uh, to best go about the process of education. 
We also pray that uh, you will surround and strengthen those who are working in hospitals and caring for the sick, even as the numbers seem to rise. We pray that you will protect them, and we pray that you will give them great hearts of compassion and love for what they're doing that will carry them through the ups and downs. Lord, we pray for relief from all of this, that you'll provide either a miraculous solution or a medical solution, and we recognize that your hand is in both realms, and we pray that you would do this soon. Even more, we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would come again and that you would commence with your plans for how the end of the age will unfold and that you will cause many to fall in love with you and to fall deeply in faith in you until that time. Guide us this morning as we look into your word and as we consider these challenges from Peter. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I have a question for you. How many of you have ever experienced this thing that we call motion sickness? Anybody got a hand? You've ever, yeah, most of the hands in the room go up with that one. And maybe yours are too if you're watching from at home. Few sensations are more disorienting, overwhelming, or embarrassing than having a strong bout of motion sickness. When I was growing up, most of our family vacations involved long car rides. And sooner or later, one of the four kids in my family would get sick. And when one family member was fighting off car sickness, everyone was on guard. I would have to say that I have either fought off or succumbed to motion sickness in just about every way imaginable. I've been car sick, air sick on a plane, seasick on a sailboat. It is no fun, right? They say that even astronauts sometimes experience what they call space sickness, where everything gets out of whack. Fortunately for me, an old sailor taught me about the remedy that he used when the seas got really rough, and it sort of fixed all of that in my life. It's worked so well for me over the past 30 years that I have found that I love to fly, I love to sail, I love to go on long car rides. That struggle also led me to read up on what tends to cause motion sickness in order to avoid habits that can bring it on again. It usually happens when our eyes are focused on something that is not moving while we're riding or traveling in a vehicle that is moving. And when this happens, the inner ear senses the motion of the vehicle, but there's a conflict with, the, with what the eyes are taking in at the same time. So I don't know about you, but I avoid reading books if I'm the, a passenger in, in a car. I have learned that if I can focus on where the car is heading as opposed to looking out the side windows at things that are not moving, I can find the balance that I need. When you and I encounter motion sickness of any kind, it is usually because there is a conflict between the reality of what your inner ear experiences and the false impression that comes from what our eyes are perceiving. And, that res and the result of that conflict is that we get dizzy and sometimes we even get nauseated. Indiana pastor Jeff Streit likens this motion sickness experience with the way that we can become disoriented as we travel through this world when we perceive things to be true that are not. He writes that when there is a conflict between our perception of what is true and the reality of what is true, then that conflict will make us uncomfortable and disoriented and will end up with a form of spiritual motion sickness as we go through life. Well, that thought leads us to, to this morning's topic. Borrowing a title from Dr. Joe Stoll, the former president of Moody Bible Institute, we're in part four, the final part of a series that I've been calling The Trouble with Jesus. 
And our topic today is Jesus in the Spotlight. So good morning. I'm glad to see all of you here, and I'm glad that we're talking with those of you who are watching online again today. And if, if you're here with us, let me ask you to just stand up and, and wave at somebody. We're going to warm up the room. Just stand up where you are and wave at people on the other end of the room. Say hello. We'll wave to those who are on the camera. We're glad that you're here. We're glad that you're a part of all of this. Uh, you know, the truth is, waving is good for us, and it kind of moves us away from that thought of spiritual motion sickness. This morning, we're going to talk about Jesus in the spotlight. And here's the first observation that I want to make. Nothing puts us in the spotlight like unfair treatment. When you are treated unfairly for something that you didn't deserve in life. So Peter writes these words in verse 12, 1 Peter chapter 2. Live such good lives among the pagans that, though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Most of us go through life thinking that every person de deserves fair treatment in life. But the simple reality is that life is often not fair. And there are times when people who have put their faith in Jesus, who are identified with Jesus, and who follow his ways, will be treated unfairly in this world. And sometimes that is even specifically because we follow Jesus. So Peter tries to prepare us for those moments when you are falsely accused, specifically because you have identified yourself with Jesus. Again, I know, this doesn't sound fair at all, and it's not. But Jesus and the apostles frequently warned about this kind of reality. Now, this is what we read a few Sundays ago from the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you, because of me. This is Jesus who said that. And then he follows up by saying, when this happens, rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven. This isn't some obscure backwater part of the Bible. This is Jesus in his most well-known and well-loved sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, that's been called the greatest speech ever given throughout history. The New Testament gives us several similar warnings like this. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 19, Peter warns that we will encounter unjust suffering. One verse later, he adds that some of us will suffer for doing good. It's the second time he says that in this letter. James, in chapter 1 of his letter, says, uh, that consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. In other words, James is saying it's going to happen. Expect that it will happen. John follows that up in in uh, chapter 16, verse 33 of his gospel, in this world you will have trouble. It's Jesus who's speaking. John's quoting him, but Jesus is warning us of that. And then Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 3 warns that everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted in some way. Folks, that's five other times that I found very quickly that the New Testament warns us that life isn't fair, and if you are a Christian, if you are following Jesus, just because of associating yourself with Jesus, some people will want to give you what you don't deserve, and they'll treat you badly because of it. Why did Peter, Paul, James, and Jesus do this? Why did they warn us this about all this? Well, this is where this spiritual motion sickness comes in. I can say that it was not simply just to add difficulties to the process of leading a Christian life. 
It is rather because the Bible presents a picture of a spiritual conflict between God, the Creator, and His sworn enemy, the evil one, who destroys. He longs to destroy the very image of God that exists in every single human being. And then when you consider that Christians are being remade in the image of Christ, the evil one wants to destroy you even more. So now add in this reality. Because Christians are aligned with Jesus, the Redeemer, who came to rescue and restore the world and God's people from the work of the destroyer, people who are in the dark about Jesus are used to persecute children of God. This is what the New Testament warns us about. This is part of the reality. It doesn't seem like it should work that way, but it does. And nothing puts us in the spotlight like unfair treatment, especially when it is because of our love for Jesus. You and I should expect it. And you should also expect that people are watching to see how we respond when we are treated unfairly because of Jesus. So the first thought that we have is that nothing puts us in the spotlight like unfair treatment. Here's the second thought that I want you to consider. Our role in the spotlight has to do with living good lives. Peter simplifies it tremendously for for us. So let me read those two verses together back to back. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God in the day he visits us. There are two parts to Peter's challenge that are are written about here. The first has to do with the private life of the Christian, and the second one has to do with the social life of the Christian. So in verse 11, Peter addresses the private life of the Christian. First, he reminds us to see ourselves as foreigners and aliens in this world. Would you say that with me? I'm an alien. Now, all the people who are watching are really going to think we're nuts. But that's the perspective that we're to take as Christians. That because much of the, the population of this world does not want to align itself closely with Jesus or only wants to give lip service to following God, it puts us in alien territory. And you're walking against the grain sometimes of our culture. So this is not a statement against citizenship. It's not a statement against patriotism. All those things are good. Rather, Peter is reminding us that our current location is temporary. We were not designed for this world alone. We belong to the eternal kingdom of God if you are walking with Christ, which has a Jesus-backed guarantee of triumph. Remember, he said the gates of hell will not overcome it in Matthew chapter 16. Second, Peter urges us then to abstain from sinful desires. Peter's case for the moral life of the Christian is tied to our long-term destination. Foreigners and aliens don't have to simply go along with the culture, thinking that this is all there is. We're headed for somewhere else. We belong somewhere else. We belong in a far better world than the world we know right now. We're headed for heaven and for an earth that will be renewed and restored at the end. Citizens of heaven learn to live according to the values of heaven now in this place. That's what Peter has in mind. Then in verse 12, Peter addresses the social life of the Christian. His opening statement is, live such good lives among the pagans. This is what we are called to pursue day in and day out. 
that phrase, such good lives, rings out to us. Peter's point is that this is what puts Jesus in the best light. This is what puts Jesus in the spotlight. When we live well, when we live good lives that are, that are measured by his goodness, Joe Stoll adds some clarity to what Peter is calling us to do with this challenge. Peter repeats one word twice. He calls us to live good lives and then to good works which are seen by other people. Now, when Peter wrote these words in the New Testament, he had a choice between two Greek words for this concept of good. One is agathos and the other is kalos in Greek. You don't need to know all that or remember that, but I want you to know that I know what I'm talking about this time for once. Agathos focuses on behavior while kalos blesses other people. Two different forms of good. The first focus on what we do, so it's kind of a self-focused goodness. The other is an other-centered kind of goodness, and that's the word that Peter chooses and that he uses. He uses this word, kalos. This is what Joe Stoll wrote about this. Agathos does what is right, while kalos goes beyond to forgive others who do not. Agathos ties, for instance, but kalos goes beyond tithing to also help those in need without any thought of return. You see the difference between the two? One says, I'm doing the right thing, I'm proud of myself. The other one says, I'll keep going beyond what's merely doing the right thing to find ways to bless other people when the opportunity is right in front of me. This is what is so badly needed in our day today. How we live out our faith before others is more effective than bold statements about the evils we eschew or the things that we avoid. When people see Jesus acting through us today, that is the clearest and most compelling invitation that they can be given. And this is essential in our time. When some voices turn Christianity into simply defending moral or political convictions, whereas the apostles taught that authentic Christianity is about, quote, intentionally engaging our world with acts of love that show off Jesus. That's what Joe Stoll wrote in The Trouble with Jesus. We are not simply called to win a political battle that is tied to our moral causes. We are also called to intentionally engage our world with acts of love that show off Jesus. Oh, this is where our big idea for this morning comes into focus. When we live such good lives that go beyond expectations, Jesus shines in the spotlight. When we live such good lives that other people can see, even if they radically disagree with our, our beliefs, with our way of life, this puts Jesus in the spotlight. Remember, our topic for this morning is Jesus in the spotlight. And the way that Jesus gets into the spotlight today is by the way that his followers live out the things that he taught. That leads to our third thought for the day. Recognize what happens when we focus on living good lives. So here's where we've been. Nothing puts us in the spotlight like unfair treatment. Our role in the spotlight has to do with living good lives and recognize what happens when we focus on living good lives. So again, that central verse that we're looking at, verse 12, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. 
what we are doing when we're talking about this is we are living out the outrageous Christianity that we find written about in the Sermon on the Mount by Jesus. We already noted that Peter's words echo the challenge from Jesus that he gives in Matthew chapter 5. Peter's challenges to live the chaos life echo several of Jesus' commands in the Sermon on the Mount. Just listen to these thoughts from the Beatitudes and from the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will, show, they will be shown mercy. You are the light of the world. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. If anyone slaps you, turn the other cheek. If anyone wants you to take off your shirt, hand over your coat as well. Go the extra mile. Our acts of good in the name of Jesus end up bringing glory to God. That's what Peter tells us here. This is where the second half of 1 Peter 2.12 comes in. That they may see your good deeds and glorify God. Today, someone may accuse you of doing wrong because of your faith. But long term, we aim for the hope that some may see the good things that you are doing, the good way that you are living, and because of that, glorify God. God uses this strategy to lead people in pagan cultures to glorify Him. So step one in that process is our part. Live such good lives among the pagans, He says. Now remember, pagans are not the worst of all people. That ancient word pagan back then meant people who worship anything and everything as God. And they usually fail to recognize the singular authority of Jesus as the very son of the creator God. Peter doesn't say, give up on them and just keep away from them. Peter says, live such good lives among them. In other words, he expects that you and I are all around people who don't believe the same things that we believe, who don't recognize Jesus as the singular son of God, people who are living very different lives. He's not saying Christianity means just blend in and live the way everybody else does. He's saying that Christianity actually is living for Jesus in the midst of a culture that turns away from Jesus. That's when you know you're really living the good life that he calls us to. Wow. And then the second step in this process comes in, and the second step is the work of God as we dare to live out this challenge, to live good lives, that they may see your good deeds and glorify God. We can't create that all by ourselves. There has to be something going on inside the life of the other person, which is the work of the Holy Spirit that leads them to recognize what's happening. Every day when we wake up, we are given opportunities to invest in God's great pagan rescue plan. That's really what your life is and what my life is, and we're a part of this grand mission of God. What first makes them crazy is our attempts to live above and beyond good lives. And what ultimately causes them to praise God is our above and beyond good lives. That's what we're called to, above and beyond what seems to be merely good for the sake of Jesus. Not just to look different, not just to be weird, but to live in a way that reflects Jesus in every situation. When we live such good lives that go beyond expectations, Jesus shines in the spotlight. So I have some questions. The main question is, how can we live this out this week? And I'd like to give you some suggestions about how you and I dare to take this one verse of Scripture 
and apply it today and for the rest of this week and maybe for the rest of this season, maybe even for the rest of our lives. Here's one that'll get you. When you're talking about or corresponding with people who don't share your political views, can you think of a hotter third rail right now than talking about politics? So next time you're on Facebook and you're sharing your ideas and you're about to blast everybody who disagrees with you, whichever side of the fence that you're on, remember this. There are people who are watching because you identify with Jesus. And how you say what you say matters and how you treat the person on the other side of the equation matters greatly if God's going to get in there and use all of this. And sometimes it's not just about being right. You can be absolutely right with the way that your opinion plays out and absolutely wrong with the way that we treat other people. The methodology is so important even more than the politics. Here's another suggestion. When your employer or supervisor asks you to take on a difficult task this week, rather than grumble or complain, say, if it helps you, I'll do it. Imagine what your boss thinks when your boss hears something like that. All right, I don't understand why you're asking me to do this. I'm not sure I know how to do this. I may not be the best person for this, but if it helps you, I'll do that. Give what you're able to give. Do what you're able to do. Try to go above and beyond in some way, not spitting out the name Jesus, but doing it internally because of Jesus in you. Here's a third thought. When you encounter someone who needs help or who needs a hand up, rather than list all the bad choices that have put that person in this particular spot, offer the help that you can give. Give what you're able to give. Do what you're able to do. Try to go above and beyond in some way, again, in the name of Jesus. When you see an opportunity to help your neighbor, jump at the chance. Rather than expressing frustration over getting knocked off your agenda, adjust your schedule. Look at it as a way to build a deeper friendship. If the conversation leads to faith and where your hope comes from, great. If not, trust that God will lead this person to glorify him someday because, something, because of something they saw in you. Live for the day when that person says, she must be one of those North River people. They take this Jesus stuff so seriously. He must be one of those North River people because they take those words of Jesus and they, they actually try to live them out. Imagine that. Here's another thought. If someone sees the good that you are doing and makes an accusation against you just to knock you down, rather than get discouraged, depressed, or overly defensive, whisper to yourself, thank you, Peter, for the reminder. Thank you, Jesus, for the challenge. Call on God to work out the long-term goal of using this for his glory and praise him for the fact that he involved you in what he's doing. While you carry out the short-term goal of completing the good work that you started. Maybe they will say, those North River people think this Jesus stuff is real. Maybe there's something to this. Look forward to the day when they may glorify God because of what they see in us. Henry Blackaby 
I wrote this thought that I'd like to add here at, towards the end of this message. What an incredible witness it is to a lost and fearful society when the Christian acts like a child of God living under the sovereignty of the Heavenly Father. See, the simple reality is most people in our culture don't expect Christians to necessarily act like children of God. But when we do, the Holy Spirit gets in there and the Holy Spirit agitates and he brings about a change of thinking and perhaps even one day praise to God because of the good lives that we lead. I'd like to have you consider praying this simple prayer with me. Dear God, give me the joy of serving you among people who don't know you. Help us to live such good lives that cause them to glorify you because they have seen Jesus in me. Father God, I pray that as we consider these words and these challenges from the New Testament, that you will renew our conviction to live for Jesus, to live according to his values, to see ourselves as kingdom kids who are temporarily here in the world as it is today, longing either for heaven or for the time when you return and you renew this earth in its original splendor. Thank you that one day you're going to come and restore all things to the way they should be. And you are at work now in restoring us to become the people you originally designed us to be. Help us to live with those restoration goals and with the hope that leads to a future that is better than what we see today. Help us not to think of ourselves better than other people, but help us to live lives that are filled with good, so much so that they bring praise to your name and lead others to ask why. Prepare us for that day when somebody else asks why we live the way we do, why we hope the way that we hope, why we love the way that we love. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, if you're at home and you prayed that prayer with us, would you click on the little button on your screen that says, let me shine the spotlight on Jesus this week? Love to see how many people are moved to take up that particular challenge. And if you do, let us know how God has prompted you to respond during the week. I'd like to invite you to continue to support North River, and I'd like to thank all of you who've been giving during this entire season to support our church. Uh, right now, you can click the Give button that's on your screen or in the chat box if you're watching online, or you might find it in the notes section and that will lead you to a process where you can give online. You can pull out your phone and you can text this number, 77977, and when you do, you'll need to write in North River CC, and then uh, that will take you to some prompts that will take you through this uh, digital tool that you can use on your phone. You can always do it with the older ways. You can do your online bill pay through your bank. You can mail in a check here to North River Church, 334 Old Oak Street, Pembroke. 02359. But thank you for sacrificing. Thank you for uh, being behind what we're doing. We're all in this together, and it's just us, and God has blessed us richly through you and me and our attempts to be faithful. Thanks for be being here today and for uh, 
sticking with this series as we've considered the trouble with Jesus the last few weeks, we're going on to another series starting next week for the month of November. We're going to look at renewing our understanding of God's purpose in our lives. And I hope that you'll be a part of that. Hang on for one more song as we worship God and as we end our day with praises on our lips.